All right. Have you noticed if you stick around here long enough, the beard is contagious, okay? So just, just, just giving you a warning. All right. Today we're going to wrap up our Break the Mold series, and it has been uh, a good time to uh, just reflect on how we can move beyond where we are to where God wants us to be. So we're going to pray and then get started. Lord, we thank you so much for the presence that we felt already in this place tonight in worship. And Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God who is not distant, but you are a God who comes to encounter us. And tonight we expect the same thing as we, as we go into your word. We expect an, an encounter that's going to change us in Jesus' name. All right, a few, few weeks ago we talked about Jacob, and we talked about Jacob being, uh, you know, running from his past. He ran from his brother. He ran from his past. He ran, and he, he went and got married. That didn't work out so well at the first. You have to go back and reference all that. He's just doing a lot of running, but he ends up in a place uh, where he encounters God one night, and he calls that place Bethel, which literally means house of God. And so he goes from there. He goes to Laban's house. He goes away from that, and he's still chasing. How many guys know that you can keep going and keep going, but if you don't ever deal with your past, sometimes it'll keep following you around, right? And so he's going, but his past is still following him around, and he's afraid of Esau. He's afraid of his brother Esau, even though years have passed, even though he got alone with God at Bethel, he had an encounter with God at the house of God, he called it. He's still going from place to place, and still, even though he's gotten really wealthy at this time, he's got, you know, servants, he's got, his, his whole life has grown, he's, he's extremely wealthy, but yet, even though he's powerful now, and he has all this opportunity, he's still afraid of something from his past. And so he, he's getting ready to come against Esau or to come in contact with Esau. And so he sends his family, he sends all of his, his herds and he sends all of his, uh, his servants up ahead. And once again, we find Jacob alone. And that's where we, we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. It says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Now, we know later that this is actually the angel of the Lord or God himself in some form. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Now, that's, that's a painful experience right there, you know. I, this, by the way, this was a great opportunity for a Nacho Libre clip. But I didn't have time this week because everybody needs to wear some stretchy pants every once in a while. And so I just, I I should have done that, but um, didn't get to that, around to that this week. So then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. Now, the last time we really hear about Jacob in this uh, struggle with someone and asking them to bless him, we go all the way back to where he's trying to get his father to bless him. The circumstances were different. He was deceiving his father. He was trying to get him to bless him. And now here he is really wrestling with God and asking for a blessing. But when when this man he's wrestling with asks him his name, remember the last time his father said, what is your name? You you sound like Jacob, but you, you feel like Esau, you smell like Esau, and he said, my name is Esau. This time he's truthful and he's honest, and he actually is honest about who he really is. He says, I'm Jacob. It's really significant. He surrenders something in this moment, and that allows for what happens next. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and won. By the way, how would you like to have that on your resume? Okay, uh, 
deceived father, uh, defrauded brother, fought with God and won. Doesn't it kind of cancel out all the others, right? That's a pretty good resume. Fought with God and won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man said. Then he blessed Jacob there, and Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. So the last time he was alone, he named it Bethel, which means house of God. And now he names the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Now, Jacob's life, as you followed along in this series, has been one of struggle. He struggled with his brother, he struggled with his father, he struggled with his father-in-law, he struggled with his, his past, and he's, it's just all about struggle. How many of you guys feel like sometimes you're going through life and it just seems like a struggle, right? I mean, it just seems like from one thing to the next, it just seems like the struggle is following you around. And he's looking for a blessing in each case. He's trying to figure out a way out of the struggle so that he can have some peace, and, and here's a lesson we've got to understand. J Jacob tried to get peace and tried to settle the struggle in all these different areas with his father, with his brother, with his father-in-law. But it's only when you get face-to-face -face with God can you really sort out the struggles in your life. You can try to get a blessing from anywhere else. You can try to go to men and get blessing. You can try to go to your father and get a blessing. You can try to go to your friends and get a blessing. You can try to get validation from your work. It doesn't matter. It's only when we get with God that we can sort it out and when we're honest with God with who we really are. Now, here, here, here God gives him a brand new identity. It's not the name Esau. He thought that if he could get what Esau had, he'd be complete and he'd be fulfilled. He doesn't give him the name Esau because that was, that was not really what he needed. He doesn't even leave him with the name Jacob, who Jacob was actually probably running from that name. He gives him a brand new identity. Jacob had to constantly feel like he was faking his identity. And, and here's where I really want you to catch tonight. And this, I just want you to settle in on this. God wants to give you an identity you don't have to fake. We spend so much energy on image management, so much energy trying to get blessing from this person or that person or this situation or that situation, that we end up trying to fake our way through it, trying to maintain something. We, we know we're, we're covered in stuff, but we try to pretend like we're not. It reminds me of a story. When I was a youth pastor, I took about 150 teenagers to youth camp about eight hours away to the very uh, boot hill of Missouri, some place out in the middle of nowhere. And I had me and my, my youth workers, and we're responsible for 150 teenagers 24-7 for the next five days. How do you guys know you need the Holy Spirit for that, right? You, you, need, you, need, you need something, right? And so, uh, so there we were. So we have to be responsible for them uh, in, in the whole time for 24-7. And so we had a team of youth workers. We had a golf cart to patrol the grounds. We had uh, walkie-talkies and stuff 24-7. Uh, and we had to keep, I mean, we have to make sure that they don't run away which is important. We have to make sure that we get them back home safe. We have to make sure that they don't destroy property. And we have to make sure that none of them gets pregnant. That's a win right there for a youth pastor. You can laugh at that. It's okay, okay? As a youth pastor, that was a win. And so none of them on my watch, to my knowledge, but it came close. Because 
we were in a situation where we heard a rumor where that some of these teenagers, that two guys and two girls were going to sneak out into the woods at night. And so we went, man, we get on the radio, we man up all of our, our youth leaders get, I mean, it's nighttime, it's about midnight, we hear about this, we, we're on patrol, we're all on the radios, and they're in the woods somewhere. Let me tell you guys, this is a youth pastor's dream. A manhunt for teenagers in the woods is a youth pastor's dream. And so we, I mean, we're chasing them down. We're combing through the woods. It's muddy. It's dense woods. I mean, it is like crazy. We, it's like the fugitive, man. I mean, we're just tearing through the woods. We're on the radio. And finally, we caught three of the four. And so we got, we knew where they were. We got three of the four. And then all of a sudden, as we're rounding up those, those three and getting them back to the, to the area where it was open, we got word over the radio that there was a random guy that showed up in the cafeteria covered in mud and sticks. And he shows up and he just acts like nothing's going on, you know? It's like we know who the guilty party is here, you know? And so as a youth pastor, you don't want to be uh, with me in that situation because we're eight hours away from home. I said, you got two options. One, your mom drives eight hours right now in the middle of the night to come and pick you up and to drive you back. That's not a good, good option. Number two, we assign you to a youth leader for the rest of the trip. So if they go to the dorm, you go to the dorm. If they go to service, you go to service. If they go to lunch, you go to lunch. If they go to the bathroom, you're outside the stall. That's how it's going to go down. They obviously chose number two, and uh, they had to stay with them. And they, I mean, it was hilarious just to watch them the whole time. And, uh, but, but they eventually had to tell their parents and all that stuff. The point of the story is this. Sometimes I think we feel like that kid that just showed up in the cafeteria He knows he's the guilty party. He knows he's covered in mud, and yet he's acting as if nothing's wrong and hoping that no one notices, as silly as that is. And a lot of us are feeling that way in life. We feel like, man, we're constantly trying to manage things. We're constantly trying to to maintain our, our appearance. And if we're honest, sometimes we're just like that kid. We know that our name is tainted. We know... And we know that there's something that's not right. But God wants to give us an identity we don't have to fake. And here's what I want you to catch this evening. No matter how badly we've tainted our own name, Jesus can give us a new one. We learn that from the life of Jacob. No matter how badly we've tainted our own name, Jesus can give us a new one. Here he goes from Bethel, which means house of God, to Peniel, which means face of God, and I'm going to say something very strong, and I hope you get it as strong as, I'm, as I really want to convey it. I think a lot of people are content to simply be influenced and encouraged in the house of God, but never really get to Peniel, which is face-to-face with God. And we can be encouraged and influenced, but it's only when we get face-to-face with God does our identity really get changed. And if we're not willing to get, get face-to-face with God, if all we do is show up in the house of God and we get inspired and we get encouraged and we get whatever we get, listen, this is not, I, I, really, I really get tired of people saying things like, like, well, I didn't get fed at church or that pastor didn't feed me. Listen, your job at church is not to get fed. Your job really is to be an encouragement to other people. Your job is to get equipped 
You ought to be, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you ought to be able to feed yourself. You've got the Word of God. You've got the Holy Spirit. Dig into the Word. Boy, that went over really good, didn't it? I'm not going to tell it to you like, like maybe you've heard it before, but I want to tell you the truth. Because it's the truth that sets you free. It's not, it's not just good sayings that set you free. It's the truth that sets you free. And, and so no matter how badly we've tainted our name, God can give us a new one. And so many times, many times what we do is we pray because of our situation, we don't like our situation, we pray for God to change our circumstances. God, if you would just change my circumstances, I, I, just, just to fit our desires. And here's what God wants to do. He wants to change our identity to fit his desires. But, but many times what we do is we go into the house of God because we're just hoping that somehow us being in the house of God will change our circumstance somehow. But really, we've got to get face to face with God to have our identity really changed. So how do we get into this, this lifestyle of God giving us an identity that we don't have to fake? Well, I've already been talking about it a little bit, but let's watch. So the first thing that Jacob did that I believe has like a spiritual principle attached to it that we can learn from is this. Jacob got alone. Now there's an old story of how Indians, when they were trying to raise up their young kids, their young uh, boys into warriors, they would do something with them when they were about nine or 10 years old. They would basically take them out into the woods at night and as the sun was going down and they would take them to a stump or something like this and they would set them there and they would blindfold them. And the kid was supposed to sit there all night without moving at all and just stay there. And you'd hear all the noises, you'd hear, you know, wolves maybe could come up and, and he just had to sit there and just to be still. I mean, there could be bears that would come and try to attack him, but he just had to sit there and just be still with the blindfold all night long. Now, that would be a pretty scary experience. And for all of you, you people who are out there saying, oh man, poor kid. I mean, they're trying to make this kid into a warrior. So he had to, I mean, by the time he's done with his experience, he's supposed to be battle ready. And so he would sit there all night with the blindfold on until he could tell that it was about dawn. And at about dawn, when he, he could see the light starting to break through, he would take off the blindfold and complete his task. Now, uh, when he would do this, he would take off the blindfold. And as a kid, he, you know, he'd made it through this experience, but he would look over and he would see that his dad had been sitting right beside him all along. Now, how many of you guys know this did something to this boy? All of a sudden, he understood that he was his dad's son. That that dad who had been sitting there all along, he would have taken care of the bear that would have tried to get him. He would have taken care of the, of the wolf that would try to attack him. And in this way, he, he had a new sense of who he was because his dad had been right beside him all along. Now, there's a story, if we back up the train just a little bit, um, before this time when Jacob gets alone here that we've read about earlier, in, ver in chapter 32, we see this. It says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And so he, he called the name of that place, my name. Now, what that literally means, that word literally means two camps. Now, if we skip down to verse six, it says, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we have come to your brother Esau. So Jacob's scared of meeting his brother Esau. He's scared of this moment. That's why he's, he's in this place in the first place. Esau's out there. Jacob's become very wealthy, but Esau still, as far as Jacob knows, has a grudge on his shoulders. And so it says, when we came to your brother Esau and he he's coming to meet you, 
and there are 400 men with him. Now, this would uh, scare about anybody. And so there's 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps. There it is again, two camps. And thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that's left will escape. And so this was, this is his strategy. He's like, all right, so, Je so Esau's afraid, or I'm afraid of Esau. Esau's coming after me. He's got 400 guys. I'm going to take my team and my family and all the, the, the servants that I have and everything. We're going to divide into two camps. If Esau wipes out one, then we'll at least still, some will still survive. Now, whenever we go into a decision in life or whenever we're just living life, it seems like there's always two camps that we can live in. We can live in the spirit. We can live in the flesh. We can live in the problems or we can live in the presence of God. We can live the, the familiar life or we can you know, go out and live the faith life. There's always two camps that we can live in. And so a lot of times what happens is we begin to do what Jacob did in our life. We, we try to divide up our life into two camps. We, we try to live in two places so that if one place gets attacked, then we'll still be able to protect another. Uh, I'm reminded of a story Another youth camp story because the youth pastor has been coming out in me all week long for some reason. Uh, I was reminded of a story. We were doing a youth camp a long time ago, and, and uh, there was a rumor that got spread around that, that one of the teenagers who came the year before was upset about something and he was going to come back that year. He didn't go to camp that year, but he was going to come back and drive four hours to the camp all the way down there and he's going to ransack the camp at night. And so we heard about this rumor and so we decided we're going to stop this. We're going to make sure this doesn't happen. And so we divided ourselves up into a couple different teams and we, some of us were on a roof. We had walkie-talkies and we're, we're uh, you know, getting ready to, to catch this kid at night if he comes into the camp. And so there I am on the roof of this place waiting for this kid to come. And so we had to come up with fancy names for the for this whole operation. And so we were saying, okay, this kid is gonna be called the weasel. And so if you see the weasel, the campground is gonna be called the hen house. And so if, if anybody sees him, we're gonna yell out over the radio, weasel's in the hen house, weasel's in the hen house. So there I am, a grown man, on a roof at night getting ready to yell, Weasels in the hen house. Guys, it was awesome. It was awesome. And so, turns out the kid never came, so all of our fun, but we still had a lot of fun. Listen, divide and conquer is a good plan in a lot of areas of life, but whenever we translate it into spiritual things, it has problems that come with it. See, here's what we do. We do what Jacob did. Jacob divided up into two camps because he wanted to try to lessen the risk and many times, this is what we do with our life, we divide up our life into many different camps to try to lessen the risk, and we compartmentalize. And we think it's going to lessen the risk in our life, but what it actually does is it, it creates a whole new type of risk in our life. Because what happens is we end up having a secret life and a sacred life. We end up having a home life with one set of rules and then a public life with another set of rules. And what happens is we think, well, at least if, if my home life gets torn up, at least I still have my career. Or if, if my church life, if that doesn't work out, then at least I've got my family. And so we divide up into our life. Now, if we go back into the, the scripture, the, the first verse that I read there, it says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the place, the name of that place, Maanaim, which means two camps. You see, what actually Maanaim was actually about, it wasn't about Jacob's two camps. 
It was actually about God being in Jacob's camp. It was, it was overlapping. It was about Jacob being alone with God. It was about Jacob as if he was sitting there all night, but God was in his camp. You see, it's only when we get alone with God, when we allow God to be in our camp, does our identity begin to change. Because there's two problems, there's two issues really. That one is we're trying, we're spending so much time trying to manage our image that we don't allow time for our identity to shine through. Image is external, identity is internal. It's only when we get over our image can we allow God to put his identity into us so that we can become image bearers of God instead of image managers of ourselves. How many of you guys just identify with that sometimes that we spend so much time protecting our image? And so that's why we two camp our life, because we want to try to project one image in one, one area and one image in another. There's a, a story I remembered this week of a guy uh, who's an old friend of mine. We used to be on staff at, at the same church, and, and this is years ago, but he was coming into town and he wanted to have lunch with me. And so he was, uh, we were texting back and forth about where to go for lunch, and he was like, isn't there some steak place or something off of 152 over there? And I was like, I don't know. I got five kids. I don't go there, you know? And uh, he was like, and I said, man, I'll eat anywhere. You know, I'll eat anywhere. But, you know, when I was a youth pastor, speaking of youth pastor stores, I would, the Phillips 66 gas station was my delicacy of choice. I mean, that was my lunch spot. I loved that. Anything you could heat up in a microwave was awesome. I'll eat about anything unless it's raw fish. I won't eat raw fish. All of you guys who love that stuff, there's something wrong with you. I don't know. God gave us fire at some point. It's in the Bible somewhere. I don't know. But uh, I said, I'll eat anywhere. And he said, and he said this. And he was kind of half joking, but he was kind of half serious at the same time. He's like, he goes, but, but Sean, you're now, you're now a senior pastor. You're not a youth pastor anymore, so you can't be eating at, at some of those low-end places anymore. Now you're senior, pa- senior pastor. You gotta, and, and, and he was kind of joking, but I'm like, really? I just did not understand that finer dining went with the upper, upper call of God. I didn't know that until then. And, I, and because for me, I'm always like, I don't, I don't think of it that way. I don't, I don't think of it. And I always kind of like, I mean, I don't want to look like that. I don't want to act like that. I don't want to act like there's certain positions or anything like that. And, and that's the way I've kind of always lived, especially since being a pastor. But I'll tell you something that's kind of embarrassing. Because I did make sure in that conversation to let him know how many services we had as a church, how many seats we had in the auditorium, and how well we were doing. Why is that? You know, why, what is it about us that still has to find some way. Like there was something in me at that moment that had to make sure he knew that. And I think there's something all of us can identify there somewhere. We, we always want to put out our stats and put out all of that stuff. Because we're so busy with our image, we can't rest in our identity. And, and we manage it so tightly. We've got a brand to it. We manage it so tightly. Listen, the only way we get beyond that, the only way I get beyond that is when I get alone face to face with God and I sit there before God and I say, God, what's up? What, what is this about? What's going on? And God can reveal, Sean, you got an image problem. You got an Im- image management problem. And he can begin to work on my heart. He can begin to work on my life. When we get alone with God, he can work on us. Second thing Jacob did is, is very simple. As he's in that wrestling match, he just simply held on to God. 
If you want to have the identity that God wants to bring to you, you just hold on to God. Think about how daring this was. He's holding on to God, the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord is telling him to let go. And he has the audacity to say, no, I'm holding on to God. He tells him to, I mean, how many you guys think about this? You don't ever really think about that part of the story. God is telling him to do something, and he's hanging on for everything he's got. You know what? Sometimes I think God's just looking to see how long we'll hang on to him. He's just looking to see if we're just continue to hang on to God and let everything else fall away. I think this is one of the keys to really walking in our identity. When we hold on to what God says about us and nothing else, we let everything else fall away. We say there's temptation, there's voices, there's, there's opinions out there, there's, there's stuff coming at us all the time. But when we hang on to God, I think one of the primary tasks that we have as believers is to understand how God sees us and then for us to begin to see ourselves how God sees us. That only happens, you only begin to walk in that identity when you get alone with God and when you hang on to only God. Only what God has for my life. You let nothing talk you out of it. But to do that, we have to do the third thing that Jacob did. Jacob let something go. In this case, he left. It, listen, if we want to leave the familiar, and all of us, I believe, we want to walk with God. Walking with God means move, moving. <laughs> if we want to leave the familiar, we, we have to let go of something. In this case, for Jacob, he literally had to let go of his own name to walk in a new identity. He had, to, he had to let go of the way he actually walked. You know, the Bible says he walked with a limp from there on out. He had to let go of some things. I want to show you another quick video, and I, I put this out on Facebook. It has to really do with relationships, but I believe it has to do with every area of our life. So let's watch. So let me give you an example of what it's like to pray for an idol and what it's like to let go. So an example of someone who is praying for a mate for years and God isn't answering sounds something like this, like Jesus bring that person into my life. Like Jesus, you say it's not good for man to be alone. I, I have this godly desire for a spouse. Bring them into my life so that I don't have to get my love and acceptance from you. We don't say that second right, part, right? right? But, but that's really what's going on in our hearts. And so what we wanna do there is detach our desire from the mate and reattach it to Jesus. I've worked with a number of people who were so desperate and so caught up in the idea that if I found the right person, then I'd have belonging and love and security. And when they were able to let go, the answer came. As long as they held on to that thing with a death grip, it actually prevented God from answering their prayer. So the law of, of twisted desire is, if you attach your desire to a thing or a person or an outcome, it'll work against you. It'll keep you from getting it. But the law of true desire is, if you let go of the thing and find your desire in Jesus, then it frees him to give you all that other stuff too, and all these things will be added to you. And you could apply that to any and every area of your life. So many of us, were holding on to an expected outcome or holding on to whatever it is. And really our hope is in that thing. And so guess what? Part of your image is going to rest in that thing. Your success or failure is going to rest in that thing. Part of your identity is going to be held back because of attaching your desires to that thing. This whole thing of the faith life is really about leaving the familiar. It's, 
I, the only way I can really put it is, is it's death to the current version of yourself. If you want to move beyond your image and into God's identity, I want you just to imagine yourself right now. Just think about how you are. Think about your likes, your dislikes. Think about your hobbies. Think about just what makes up you. See, we're comfortable with what makes up our current 2018 version of ourselves. And most of us, we never get to that place really in our mind or in our will or in our heart where we have a full understanding that if we really want to grow and change, what it means is that, that this current me will no longer exist in a sense. In a sense, I move beyond, I move outside of that, and I move into something new. It's not that we get rid of all that, but it is, in one sense, the current version of you right now will no longer exist. Most people do not grow and change because they're not willing to move outside of the current version of themselves. We're too comfortable. We, 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 don't, we can't imagine what it would be like to be different. We just kind of somehow think we're just going to like fall into good things. Listen, if we're not willing to, to do the hard work of letting go of some things, we'll never get to the best things that God has for us. And, and so we, that, means, that means in a certain way death to the current version of ourselves. Now, here's what a lot of people do. They end up focusing on the things wrong with them, focusing on sin. Well, I have to get rid of these things, these sins, and these weights, and sure enough, the Bible talks about them, and I'm not trying to downplay the effect of sin. If there wasn't a problem with sin, we wouldn't need anything. We wouldn't need to be saved from anything. So I'm not putting that on a low, uh, on a low place. But here's what we end up doing. We end up trying to just focus so much on getting rid of the bad things. But here's what God wants to do. I believe God's not so much concerned with getting rid of the bad things and changing you because of that. I think he's more concerned with conforming you into your new identity, being an image bearer of God. He's more focused on turning you into the identity and the image than he ever is. Yes, sure, the sin has to fall away, but it's only because he sees this beautiful picture of who you are and who you're supposed to be. What if we focused on it that way as well? What if we focus on it from God's perspective, but we have to be willing to, to let go of the current version of ourselves? And listen, sometimes there's no three-point sermon, even though I'm giving you one tonight. There's no three-point sermon to make this happen. It comes with an encounter with God. It comes with being face-to-face. -face. It comes as you work that out. But I, I'm going to say something that, that I pray all of you get, but I'm really hoping that a, that that some of you get this, as I say it, by revelation. When I say that God wants to give us an identity we don't have to fake, here's what I mean by that. I believe God wants to give us an effortless identity. You don't have to keep working to get to a spot. You may have to, let me put it this way. I am Gary Phillips' son. That's my dad, for those of you guys who don't know. I'm Gary Phillips' son. There's nothing I did to make that happen. I can't change that. That is who I am. I could go through life not knowing that under certain circumstances. I could go through life trying to forget that. I could go through life running away from that. 
But the fact of the matter is, that's who I am. I have you guys know, I'm not working at all to maintain that. That's just who I am. I can't, I can do things that might bring shame to that name, sure. That still doesn't change who I am. I could, I, I don't, I don't have to do anything to be that. It's an effortless identity. I'm Gary Phillips' son, and there's nothing I did to do it, to make that happen. There's nothing I can do to keep that happening. When you find, the, the real work is not trying to become an identity. The real work is clearing away everything that helps you, that, that gets in the way from you understanding who you really are. I don't have to maintain my identity with God. That's just, he's given it to me. That's just who I am because I'm his son. You are a son or a daughter of God. There's, there's nothing you can do to make that happen. There's nothing you can do to keep that up. All you can do is uncover the stuff that keeps you from seeing that. All you can do is stop running away from that. All you can do is, is to clear away everything that's not that. Is anybody getting this tonight? I'm just... Just curious. And part of that means just being present with God. How many of you guys have a trouble like I, I've had in the past sometimes where in my mind I'm always living in the future? I'm thinking about tomorrow. I'm thinking about five years from now. I'm thinking about where we're going to be next week. How many of you guys just be bold and brave to say I've, I live that way sometimes? And Pastor Aaron talked about it last week about having uh, an imaginary, or all we can do is imagine a fear in the future when, when we do that. Can I just tell you, he, he talked about uh, God being present at every time, past, present, and future. I'm going to add a little bit to his message. God is not present in your imaginary future. When you imagine a fearful future, God isn't in that one. And if you are constantly living in that imagination, you aren't being present with God. You've willingly chosen to live somewhere else. God's not present in your imaginary future. He's present in your actual future. That's, that's how that, that works. And we have to be present with God and just simply part of the way our identity gets revealed and we stop trying to manage our image is when we get so comfortable with who God is and who we are that it doesn't even matter anymore. It's like when, a few years ago when uh, my daughter, she was probably, I don't know, she had to be about two years old, my daughter Lindsay, and I would come home for lunch and she would be waiting at the door, on the other side of the door, when I would come in. And we played this little game where I would open up the door and walk in, and I, she's hiding from me, but she's hiding in plain sight. You know what I'm talking about? She's like right there, but I'm supposed to pretend like I don't see her. And so then finally, I, I, you know, we play this game and this raid where I will all of a sudden recognize that she's there, and she'll scare me or whatever, and I'd have lunch, and then I'd get ready to go leave. And she would jump up in front of the door and try to block the door to not let me leave. Because all she wanted to do was hang out with Daddy. That's all, and she's still that way, by the way. <laughs> but all she wants to do is just hang out with Daddy. And so this was every day. It didn't, it didn't ever grow old. It didn't matter. It, she just wanted to be with me. Just happy to be with me. 
And God said to me one day, Sean, is that the way you feel about me? And then he said this, because that's the way I feel about you. Do, do you believe that? That God just wants to be with you? And if we could just be present with God, listen, it's not about anything you can do in that moment. It's just about being a son or a daughter of God. And yes, we've got to let some things go. And yes, we've got to do all those things. Yes, we've got to lay aside every weight. But God is so much more concerned with relationship because he knows when you're in relationship with him, you'll want to let go of those things. That as you draw near to God, your desires will change because your desire will just be for him. And your desire won't be to maintain him. You realize that most image maintenance is where sin comes from anyway? So when we get outside of the bounds of God, when we try to, main, and try to put a, a fake life out there, that's where most of sin happens. And the more we get tied into our identity with God, the more we rest in his presence, the more we're alone with God. See, some of us, we can't enjoy God and we can't believe that God would enjoy us because we've two-camped God. Because we believe that God, we've only allowed God to be present in one area of our life but we've kept another place back. And we don't believe that the grace of God can spill into every part of our life. I'm telling you, the grace of God is big enough for all of your life. It's not about anything you can do. It's about everything that he's done. What Jesus has done on the cross for us, it wasn't just symbolic. It wasn't just to make us feel good. It wasn't just so we could have services at church. It was so that you and I could be set free to our true identity in Christ. It was so that we could live free it's so that we could have a relationship with God without the wall. Because in the temple, there was always a separation. But when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that veil was torn and we had access to the Father. Jesus became our access. And again, if you're in this place, one thing we learned from Jacob's story is no matter how bad you've tainted your own name, Jesus can give you a new one. I want to have the worship team come back up. I, want, I just want to pray for you guys that healing would come today for some of you. And also that freedom would come today for some of us. Because so many of us right now, I can just almost feel it, are so worn out from trying to maintain, maintain an image to other people. Instead of resting in our identity with God. And so many of us, we've gotten off track where we, we, we're not having those times alone with God. Where we can just, you know, solitude is simply being alone, but it's being alone with God, where God can work on the deepest parts of us. Where we can lay ourselves bare before God and say, God, here I am. You see every single part of me. Show me what to hang on to and show me what to let go of. So God, right now, we thank you so much that you just want to be with us. It's hard for us to imagine that, that you care about us so much that you're just, you're just happy to be with us. And Lord, we re uh, I repent right now if there's any part of me that has lost that sense of wonder towards you. If there's any part that's been hanging on to my own image, hoping you just change circumstances instead of changing who I really am. Lord, I pray for every person here who feels tired and worn out 
maybe feels guilty or shame, living life in two camps. And I just pray over us and just by faith that every person here would have a desire for Mahanaim, God in our camp. God in our camp. That is the God with us, truly with us, present. So Lord, I just speak freedom right now in the name of Jesus. Let us walk in healing and freedom because of what you've done on the cross. Because you died for us, you rose from the dead, you paid the price for our sins. Our sins don't stand in the way between us and you. We, we can walk in freedom. We thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up, let's worship one more time.